I'm really not interested in starting over. I've heard this statement from thousands of people in email, in phone conversations that my team or I have had. And I get it. I understand. I don't want to start over either. It kind of sucks, to put it mildly. In fact, here's a list of other things that I didn't want to do each time I was personally considering making a career change. I didn't want to pay tens of thousands of dollars and years of time to go back to school and get another degree. I also didn't want to try to work my way up from the bottom in an organization. Some people think starting over from the bottom is a good idea. It honestly didn't sound that great to me personally. When you're in a situation, it feels like you're stuck between several really equally terrible choices. And here's a couple ways to think about it. Jesse, a nurse from Minnesota, put it like this. There was never any room to move up in terms of my career. Unless I went back to school and then started all over at the bottom. Jade, a marketing manager from the UK, said, I've considered studying psychology, but as I have two kids, I need to work as well. And doing psychology part-time will take me forever if I do it through correspondence, as full-time is already seven years. I also hear stories from lots of execs telling me that they would love to change occupations, industries, or... They're just trying to figure out what they can do differently, but they feel like they're too far along in their career. Okay, so we get it, right? None of us want to start over. You probably feel that too. But what are the invisible mental barriers that cause us to say that in the first place? What's actually going on when we say, I don't want to start over? And why is it that when we get there, we feel like we're stuck? Here's the thing. I'm going to give you a hint. It's not because we're actually stuck in our role doomed to never have a job that we can fully enjoy, but also pays us well. It's actually because we don't know that there's a different way. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. If you've ever felt what we call the stuck cycle, and we've mentioned this on a few episodes, where you don't know what to do next, then guess what? This episode and the next few episodes are just for you. Here's what the stuck cycle sounds like. I've been a director of IT for a major corporation, and it's not a bad job, but it pays really, really well. And I'm not sure where else I could find something that pays this well. I've been a teacher for 10 years, and I would love to do something else, but my skills aren't transferable, and I really don't want to go back to school for another four years. So I'm still here. These are actual things that have been told to me from real people, not just once, but many, many, many times over and over again. This is the first episode of a four-part series called How to Get Unstuck Without Starting Over. All right, so why does this happen in the first place? Well, I want you to stop and think about it. I honestly bet you already know some of the answers. We have a really clear path for certain things. You go to primary school and then to college, and then you choose a major, and then you get a job and you begin your career. Then you do well in your career and do well in life, and more opportunities come your way, and you just sit back and collect the accolades, right? 
that's the way that many of us have been prepped. It's also what we've prepped or are prepping our kids to do in some ways. Not necessarily you specifically, but society as a whole. And then we get 10 or 20, maybe even more years into our career. And we realize that, hey, this sounded nice, except that for nearly everyone, it doesn't actually work out that way. It doesn't go according to the script that we've been prepping for. Okay, so what happens when we get 10 years into our career and wake up and realize that although we've had a lot of great experiences along the way, that this job, and maybe even the career path that we're in right now, isn't what we want to continue doing in the future. This is often where we try and go back to that same script, that same script that led us down this road in the first place. We consider things like school, college, another degree, another two to four years and tens of thousands of dollars, and then back to happiness, right? Maybe. Oh shit, that actually doesn't sound very good. We begin to realize that the script that we've been running in the background has failed us and there's no plan for this. It sounds like choosing between two terribly undesirable options. Stay where you're at, even though it's not what you want for your future, or spend huge amounts of time and money to maybe, just maybe, get where you want to go. Maybe. Some people decide to take the hard road. They go back to school. They pay huge amounts of cash. They take large loans. They settle themselves with additional debt in hopes that it'll work out. They go get an MBA or a second undergrad expecting that when they come out, it's going to solve the problem. And trust me, I've got, I've got mad respect for these people. This is a hard road and they're trying to do something about it, something, anything, but it's really hard to start over in this way. And by the way, we actually get to hear from a lot of these people a year or two after they have gone back to the, get the degree and they still aren't totally happy with where they've ended up. It hasn't necessarily taken care of the problem. Other people decide that they don't want to start over but they feel like they still have to do something and that's great. So they change jobs or they change companies hoping that this is going to fix the issue or maybe it's going to put them in a better situation. And sometimes it does, but most people get six to 12 months into their new role, maybe a little longer or that new company, that new organization. And then they realize after the honeymoon period has worn off that they're in nearly the same situation and only the names and faces have changed. And again, it still hasn't taken care of the problem. And there is a third category though. It seems most people fall into this category. Most people choose to continue the path they're already on and they simply stay. They stay where they're at because the first two options sound terrible to them. And honestly, they don't know what else to do. And quite honestly, I don't blame them. But what if, what if, what if there were another option? other than what our societal script has prepared us for? What if we could do this without starting over? What if you could make the change by using your experience that you already had? Or what if you could keep the very best pieces of your situation, (laughs) whether that is the work or the types of people that you work with, or maybe even the pay? And what if you could bring those things forward into your next step? I want to ask you a question. Like, stop and think about that for just a minute. Like, think about the things that are pretty good about your current situation, your job. You know, maybe that's the flexibility. Maybe it is the people you work with. Maybe kind of hate everything and just really enjoy having a pretty good paycheck, insurance, who knows, whatever it is for you. Think about that for just a second. What if you could carry all those things forward into your next role and still add in, layer in other things 
that were even better for you on top of it, like doing more work, more of your work in your strengths in areas that you enjoy spending more of that time in a given day. We spend a lot of time at work, spend more of that time in a given day being able to do that. What if you could add in some of those pieces that you're missing right now in one way or another on top of that? How would that change your world? Think about that for a second. How would that change your world? Well, guess what? That's exactly what this series is about. We're going to show you a different way where you don't have to start over unless you want to, a way where you can build upon what you've already accomplished. We're going to show you how real people go off script, when the script fails them, and how they build lives and careers they care about that also provide them purpose and meaningful work in a way that they haven't had quite before. We also want to teach you how to do something about your stock cycle without completely starting over. But to do this, you first have to understand what causes us to feel stuck in the first place. To be completely honest with you, it was a tough, I stayed in New York for six months, but I did not do a single thing really job related in that next six months. It was a struggle for me. I mean, there was some depression that set in and then a lot of doubt. And I think, you know, I basically self-sabotaged in that role. And I walked myself out of that role, I think, because I knew that if my performance continued to decrease as it was, I was going to be let go. And I think that scared me. And I think I was basically just giving myself an out there too. Mm. Um, I had a lot of inner work to do on myself and I had a lot of self-doubt. I beat myself up constantly. I mean, I, the perfectionism in my life is what drove me to success, but it also, you know, drove me to crumble where I was. I think I lacked basic self-love. You know, I think like that was a huge part as crazy as that sounds, you know, a part of my life that I never really developed. I was always still results and my results were basically determined my, my self-worth and my value. And I think, you know, when you're in a high performing role like that, it's, it's easy for that to happen. That's Kelly. Kelly worked at LinkedIn. She did really well at LinkedIn. Actually, she had what many people would look at as a pretty amazing job. Back in 2010, I went to American university in Washington, DC and Really, like most college graduates, had no idea what I wanted to do when I graduated from college. <laughs> but my father was a uh, successful sales guy, and I kind of displayed a lot of, I think, the attributes, um, you know, to be successful in sales. You know, I was just, you know, very much, I think, in tune with like the type of person I am, very A-type personality. Yeah, love working with people, everything like that. So I was actually recruited out of college at a job fair for WW Granger. If you're familiar with that, yes. there in industrial supply space. So I was an outside sales rep for them, really only lasted three months. It was not a successful program. Didn't care for it, but definitely learned a lot. That was kind of my first step in recognizing what I didn't want in my career, which A, was outside sales. I didn't enjoy being in a vehicle, driving around to different prospects you know, throughout the day. I knew I wanted to kind of be in an office and I just felt like I was wasting a lot of time in that regard. So I left that job and I took a couple of months and I started to work for a small boutique IT staffing consulting firm in the DC area and started doing some, you know, technical recruiting for them, kind of learning what recruiting was all about. I thought it was kind of a good next step. And then I moved into more of an account manager role with them. So that was my first kind of my entry back into sales in terms of acquiring clients to help staff roles for. And I worked there for a number of years, moved up in the company, was very successful. It was small enough where I had great mentorship. Yeah. In terms of just learning the ropes and having that very small, I wouldn't say startup, but small company, you know, experience. 
And then I kind of outgrew that role. There wasn't any other you know, place for me to, to move up in that company. So during my time at the company, we had adopted LinkedIn as use of you know, recruiter tools. And I fell in love with LinkedIn. It changed the way I did business. It changed the way I recruited. So I called LinkedIn up and I said, or I think I sent emails via LinkedIn. Um, I said, I, I got it. That seems appropriate, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. And I'm very like, strategic about how I did everything, but I was just, I, I was very passionate about the product. And I think that's kind of yeah. where my mindset was. And I was like, I would love to share you know, my experience working you know, with LinkedIn and help other small businesses and clients do the same. So made that call up, got the interview, got the job, ended up moving up to New York for a sales role in which I worked with small to medium-sized businesses and helped them to build out their branding, utilize the network, um, a lot of back-end solutions. So it was more of an account manager role. Yeah. Um, there for three years. And uh, this is kind of when everything came to head um, that is that propelled me to where I am now is, you know, that role was very, very fulfilling uh, for me, I think. And it was very difficult, to be honest, to get into a role like that because I was moving from a very unstructured small organization into, you know, I know LinkedIn was still very startup-y, but it was a much broader, more well-defined and structured place. And I think I had trouble adjusting. The people and the quality of people in an organization like LinkedIn was top tier. I mean, I worked with some of the smartest, most talented, diverse, just fun and good human beings like in that organization, I think than you know, anywhere else in my life have I met and going in there and having a very structured sales organization it was difficult for me to adapt because I had never you know, been in that before. And it really, in all honesty, my first year was a huge growing year for me. You know, I didn't do well in terms of meeting quotas and I struggled a lot. And then you know, basically second year came around, I got a new manager and I sat down with her and I said, we really need to roadmap this out to make sure that I'm successful this year. And now I kind of have the hang of things. So that you know, adjustment and transition period was challenging, but I worked through that. Going into my second sales year, which starts in January, this was 2000 yeah. and. 15 and things were kind of shifting in the organization. Uh, we were doing some organizational changes in terms of how salespeople were working with the customer success people. So I actually had a gentleman who I worked with who helped me with a lot of the things that I, you know, didn't necessarily want to spend the time doing with my clients. And I just wanted to be able to work with my clients. And he did a lot of the, you know, other stuff. So I went through that and I was so determined that year to be successful. And I set benchmarks for myself and goals. And I just kind of got this, I don't know how to explain it, but it was this newfound confidence. And I think, you know, a lot of it was because I made sure I let my manager know exactly what I want to accomplish. And I really utilized her. I utilized other people in the organization. And I just kind of like sprung for it and said, you know, I'm going to do the very best I can do. And by the second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, you know, I was the top salesperson, you know, in that office. I was winning yeah. awards. I never thought I would win. I was, you know, selling products and deals that I never thought I would close. And it was like the most successful year of my career. I made, you know, more money than I ever thought I could make. I mean, just all the way across the board, it was like successful just working with my clients and finding new ways. And I realized by the end of that December that although I had gotten where I wanted to goal wise and within the company and, you know, financially, that was kind of when I had this aha moment when everything was going to change for me. And to be completely frank with you, yeah. I think my idea of success was completely skewed. And I think I couldn't have felt less successful in my own mind, despite all of the success that I had. So I'll never forget. It was late in December. It was after I had hit my annual quota at LinkedIn. I'll never forget coming back to my apartment. I was standing in my bedroom in my apartment in New York. It was the end of the year. 
And it was like, finally, like, okay, it's all over now. I like <laughs> did it. And then I remember receiving like my final paycheck from LinkedIn. And, you know, I can't even tell you night and day, like the amount of money I was previously making to that, to, you know, then that's kind of a big step in your career when you kind of see the numbers that back it. And, you know, at that time, I think, you know, I wanted to be very financially sound. So the money was very big for me. And I remember looking at that paycheck and I remember I said to myself out loud, like, is this it? Is that all there is? And that was this moment where I, I knew that something wasn't right. And I was like, I should be happy. I should be fulfilled. But what I realized was that I was really going for the end result and I didn't enjoy the process at all. And when I say I didn't enjoy the process, like, yes, did I enjoy working with my clients? Yes, I did. But, you know, really, I was all driven by what that end result was. And I was waiting for the end of the year. And that's what drove me so hard. It's like, I couldn't wait to just get to the end of the year for it all to be over. And I said, like, if this is all there is, and I, you know, did this, this, and this, I said, something's missing. Like, I need to, I need to figure this out. This is, this shouldn't be right. I should be feeling happy and joyous and kind of looking back on my achievements and, you know, feeling fulfilled. And that's, that was not the case. I struggled, you know, in the first quarter, my results after, you know, kind of coming, staying on top all the 2015, 2016, that first quarter was probably the worst quarter of my career. Completely crashed. I was over it. I was burned out, couldn't do it. And I remember sitting in a client uh, meeting in Boston. This was in like late April, early May. Mm -hmm. And I remember just like looking out the window and I was like, I'm done. Like I didn't even care. And I said, this isn't fair to my clients. This isn't fair to me. Like I should be, you know, really interested in, you know, solving problems for them. And I was just over it to be quite honest with you. And I just had this moment and I said, like, I can't, I was pretty dramatic. And I was like, I can't do this another day. I put some time on my manager's calendar. And by noon that day, I told her I was putting in my resignation. And I said, I'm done. I don't know where I'm going from here. I don't really care, but I know that this isn't the place and this isn't fair to anyone. And I wanted to do right by the company by myself. So, you know, here I was about to be jobless in New York City with, you know, high rent and, you know, didn't know where I was going in my life. But I knew that I think the biggest step for me was just getting out of my current situation so I could realign myself, if that makes sense. I couldn't do it if I had continued in this role. The role was just pulling way too much energy and time for me. Okay. Clearly, Kelly faced a lot of internal conflict. Some of it was a disconnect between her personal expectations for herself and the results she was seeing. And then she reflected that back to her value in her workplace. And her low value took away any confidence she had to move forward. But that's not the only way it happens. Take a listen to Rebecca's situation. And I was really trying to think broadly. I had this moment of thinking, okay, should I be a lawyer? What should I do? I just took the kind of, what color is your parachute approach? I got to a point of saying, okay, I'm pulling some of these things out, but it's uh, like, it's on my strengths, some of my interests, but it's murky. I'm not sure how to move forward for this. And I think not knowing where you want to go, like, again, some people see the burning bush, some people don't, I did not. <laughs> and I was wondering if I'm not quite sure how to, what I'm looking for, how do I move forward? How do I develop this? I was hoping to get that burning bush moment and I did and I thought, oh gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. So that's when I started, I think, feeling stuck. How do I move forward with this? Rebecca was having a lot of difficulty narrowing down her choices. So she really struggled with the lack of clarity in what to do next because she wasn't feeling clear about anything in a lot of the different choices. So I ended up going to law school because I liked the idea of how you could use advocacy and arguments 
to like build a foundation to achieve something for someone. Cause I think ultimately at the end of the day, I, I wanted to help people and that's what moved me towards law school. I ended up going to law school at the university of Maryland. And, yeah. and after I went to school there, I realized I've never been involved in politics. I guess fast forwarding. I realized, you know, I've had experience in undergrad with some environmental sort of organizing stuff back in the day. I, now have experience in the law, but I've never looked at politics, which feels like another factor in something that's close to me now that I'm in Maryland and DC is not very far away. Like I don't have kids. I don't have a house. What if that's something worth trying? And I ended up connecting with an office in DC. And I remember at the time I ended up working there because it was 2013 recession was still hitting hard for lawyers. And I said, you know what? Um, <laughs> I think it was because of all of that, I've gotten like, people have told me that I'm scrappy. You just kind of go and you see what's out there and you kind of put your neck out there and see what you can get. That's why that part of my life led from the law into politics. And then I did that for a couple of years. It is really exciting. It is really interesting because you're dealing with some very big issues and everything's dynamic. Yeah. It's changing all the time. And you work with some very motivated, very intelligent people yeah. and some very diplomatic and great people to work with. But at the same time, it's sometimes working at 50,000 feet, you know, feeling like you're kind of hovering above ground. I think after a while, I was starting to wonder about my impact and connecting with people and wondering, is this the best use of my skills? And I remember people saying, oh, man, but you've got the dream. And <laughs> it kind of raises a red flag if people say you have the dream. And you think, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of truth to that. But something feels off right now, at least for what I think I'm looking for. I think I started feeling a little disconnected. Sometimes we would start working on an issue and then something else would become more politically important to be working on or focusing on. So jumping around, there were loose ends. And I thought, okay, what am I accomplishing here? And I started feeling a little bit of that disconnect. And then also I became a very versatile generalist, <laughs> uh, looking at different issues across the spectrum, but it was diving into, I think when you're running on an inch deep mile wide, yeah. You know, some people thrive in that thrive in that environment. They see the bigger forces and they enjoy just kind of, you know, staying a little bit in the substance, but mostly on the bigger forces and political forces and again, navigating that. But for me, I found that this is all very exciting. I would love to have something where I get to dive deep more into, be more of an expert on, sink my teeth into more. So I started reconsidering my impact and as well as ultimately how did I want my ideal office, how at least for how I get my rewards out of work. What makes sense? Yeah. It's like having a big policy issue work, or is it more of a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a client, like that kind of work? And I thought, actually, I think it's the client. I just started piece by piece picking things off. And sometimes too, when you're in that environment, you know that something's not working, but you're not quite sure what. And it sometimes can be hard to hear your voice in that space. You know, my heart in terms of my job was starting to kind of wonder. And then also my heart was also somewhere else. Like my significant other 
was out on the campaign trail and I'm trying to hold it all together, but something's going to get eventually. But there was a moment for me. I yeah. went into the dentist's office. They did an x-ray of my molars and the nerves just looked like scrambled eggs. I'm not out of my twenties. And they said, look, you are clenching your teeth so hard at night from stress that you have messed up your nerve endings. And if you keep going like this, you're going to need root canals for all four teeth by the time you're 30. It kind of made me sit down and say, something's wrong. And I kind of tried to like, just, you know, keep where just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right? Keep going, keep going. You can do it. Just keep focused. Everyone goes and runs into issues like this. And then eventually something starts to give and say, you know, maybe something is off. Here's the crazy thing. Rebecca, Kelly, and everybody else that we have ever had the opportunity to help, they all kind of get to that same place. They know that they want something different and they struggle in one way or another to be able to move through it and, and see how to be able to make that happen. But one thing that I've learned is that every single person that we worked with that makes a change says something really similar. When they're there in their new role afterwards in a new situation that's far, far better than what they were doing in the past, then they say something that goes like this. <laughs> Looking back, it, it was all there the whole time. But earlier, I couldn't connect the dots. Here's how Allison put it. Allison was on one of our recent episodes because we got the opportunity to help her. She enrolled in Career Change Bootcamp. And afterwards, I thought it, she put it so well. Your fit is out there and your dream job exists, whether you just haven't heard of it or if you have to create it, but it's there. And when you find it, it's like, it's like realizing the person you knew back in middle school is your true love. And it was there all along and it existed and you just didn't know how to find it. I think Allison got it right. And in the next three episodes, we're going to show you how it's possible to get what you want and to get where you want. And in fact, starting with the very next one, we're going to show you how your skills, your experiences are so much more transferable than you realize right now. And we're going to show you some stories and some examples of people that are doing it and have done it and have been there so that you can take so much from their stories and make your ideal career possible for you. Plus, guess what? After listening to each of these episodes, you're going to wonder why you waited so long to get started in the first place. I'll see you next time right here on Happen to Your Career. Adios. I'm out. Oh. 